They say that in the case of mysterious deaths, the first 48 hours are critical. If investigators can't make a breakthrough in that time, their chances of resolving the case are greatly diminished. But what if they don't make a breakthrough in the first 48 hours? Or the first 48 days? What if you don't make a breakthrough in 48 years? Welcome to the mysterious case of Fred the Head and one of the UK's most baffling unsolved crimes. Episode 26, Looking for George. Well, I hope everybody had a fantastic Christmas. And if I sound a little bit nasal, it's not that I've overindulged, I've got the flu. It's not COVID, I don't think, so you won't catch anything. But I'm definitely feeling a little bit under the weather. So you might have to cut me some slack this week. But there's a man I needed to find. We'd taken a step-by-step -step approach to verifying whether the story that we were told in episode 23 was truthful. And this had led us to learn that the story of the murder had been told to the storyteller around the time of the murder, three years before the body's discovery. Now, that was a lot to take in in the last episode and a lot to accept at face value. And at this point, most people's gut feel will be screaming this is nonsense but as i've often pointed out on this podcast gut feel isn't good enough i needed to either prove it or disprove it and only then could i sensibly move forward with any certainty so i needed to find out about this man who reportedly told the story to the narrator back in 1968 and according to our narrator, his name is Fred Armitage. But other people, including our narrator's father, called him Robbo. This man reputedly lived in a shack, a kind of static mobile home with few amenities. And in the States, I suppose that's be like what would be on a trailer park. But this was no trailer park. This was just a piece of wasteland next to the river down Waterside Lane. In Stapenhill. Now, for people who don't know the area, Stapenhill is like the twin village of Windshill, both on the east bank of the Trent, the other side of the river from Burton. Stapenhill is about one mile further south than Windshill, but they're all part of the kind of greater Burton area. So he lived in this shack on this piece of wasteland, next to where the railway line crossed the river. And this man kept dogs, Alsatians, and was described as being connected to both Mr. A and the murder. Now, that doesn't mean he was. It's just a story at the moment. And I can see from the Who is Fred the Head Facebook page that listeners are fairly evenly split on whether they're prepared to believe this account or whether they absolutely reject it. And that's perfectly natural. I'm staying neutral at the moment. Probably a slightly sceptical neutral, to be honest. So finding out about this man, our narrator called Fred Armitage, was going to be a very big help in moving my thinking forward. Did he exist? My go-to response when I'm faced with a conundrum like that 
is Facebook, particularly Facebook groups in the Burton area. There was a lot of comment on the Who Was Fred the Head page, and also I posted something on the Burton and District Remembered page, and it was very, very useful. Did the name Fred Armitage ring any bells with anyone? Well, absolutely not. But Robbo definitely did. And a large number of people confirmed that there was a man living at the end of the 1960s in a wooden structure near the river where the Leicester train line crossed the river and he kept dogs, Alsatians, and a lot of them. He was a loner and may have come to a pretty gruesome end. And the name that was associated with this man was not Fred Armitage. It was George Robinson. And that seems to correspond with the Robbo that he was being called. The Fred Armitage name, I've no idea where that came from. But if this story is true, and we don't know that yet, the man who told the narrator the story may well have been George Robinson. Now, does that mean George Robinson was involved in a murder? Absolutely, definitely not. But he is a person of interest. My only concern at the moment is proving or disproving this story. And he is definitely relevant to that. But if you're prepared to allow the fact that a completely wrong name was originally given, Fred Armitage, the claim our narrator makes that there was a man living in a home surrounded by Alsatian dogs at that place in 1968, well, that is most definitely true. Now, our narrator could have taken a series of real characters from around Burton and woven this elaborate hoax that involved these real people just in case anyone might check. But that itself is starting to sound a little bit unlikely. So what could I find out about George Robinson? Well, quite a lot, it turns out. George Robinson was quite a well-known person around Stapen Hill. People knew him. They remembered his shack, and they definitely remembered his dogs. Quite a few people were very wary of those dogs, and it seems those dogs either bit or chased most of Stapen Hill at some point. And the fact that he was such a memorable character means that it was much more straightforward than normal to find people who remembered him. And as I needed to find out as much as I could about George Robinson, that's very helpful. Because I needed to know George Robinson's story. I spoke with a man called Alan Talbot. Now, Alan knew George Robinson pretty well. Alan worked for a short period of time at a butcher's in Short Street, Stapen Hill. And this was in 1971 and 1972. Now he's certain about that date, which is great because he joined the Air Force straight after. And so therefore, because he knows when he joined the Air Force, he knows when he worked at the butchers. And George Robinson used to come to the butchers for bones for the dogs to feed their insatiable appetites of this pack of Alsatians that he was keeping at his shack. So how did Alan describe him? Well, he said he was relatively short, about five foot six and about 40 at the time. And he rode an old Lambretta scooter, wore a white helmet, and he smelt pretty strongly. 
I suppose he would. He didn't really have access to any amenities. In fact, Alan described him as not the kind of man you stood downwind of, if you get my drift. I asked Alan to confirm whether George Robinson was at that shack at the time of interest to us, so 67, 1968. And he said, yes, definitely he was there. And that's important in the context of the account we're trying to verify, because if George Robinson hadn't been there until 1975, we'd know that account was wrong. But to be fair, he was definitely there at the time that is claimed. He seemed to have very, very few visitors. He was the definition, really, of a loner, a man and his dogs. He had no idea how he did for money. He seemed to have no obvious trade, no obvious work. But he was, of course, leading a very Spartan existence. Alan was involved with running the boat club, which was next to where George Robinson had his shack. And in fact, that was quite a symbiotic relationship because the presence of George Robinson's dogs seemed to deter any vandals from going anywhere near the boat club. And Alan had many conversations over the years with George Robinson, both at the Butchers in 1971-72, but also in much later years when Alan was involved with the boat club. And he confirmed that he lived in that shack with his dogs and whilst he never saw all the dogs, he heard them. In fact, I think everyone in Stapen Hill heard them. So, so far, so good. We've got a definitive ID. George Robinson existed at the right time, in the right place, with all his dogs, fitting exactly with the story. The only thing that doesn't fit is the name. It's George Robinson, not Fred Armitage. A couple of days later, I spoke with a lady called Becky Gladden and her mum and dad, and they knew George Robinson well. In fact, Becky's dad knew him particularly well. He had lots of conversations with him. And he told me something very, very interesting. Becky's dad knew George Robinson in the 70s. Everyone was frightened of the dogs, but George himself was a really nice man. And he had one dog that never left his side, which he called Stevie. They were devoted to each other. And it seems George Robinson did lots of odd jobs for people, mending things. Cash in hand, as we say in the UK. The taxman doesn't need to know. Now, here's where it gets particularly interesting. Becky's dad, the man who knew George Robinson, wasn't from Burton originally. He'd moved down to Burton from the northeast, Hartlepool. And he remembers something about George Robinson, that he also wasn't from Burton. George Robinson was from County Durham, Peter Lee, Easington, coal mining country. And he was absolutely sure about that because of his accent. Now, for non-UK listeners, they need to know something. Accents in the UK change over a distance of 20 miles. If you've grown up in a place, you can normally identify an accent within a 20 mile radius, particularly in your region. So in the Northeast, people talk about the Geordie accent overall, but the major conurbations of Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough, Hartlepool, they've all got subtle, but absolutely distinguishable and distinct differences in accents. 
So, if you were from Hartlepool, you'd instantly know if you were talking to someone from Newcastle or Sunderland or Middlesbrough or Peter Lee because they spoke differently. And Becky's dad knew that George Robinson was from somewhere around Peter Lee because of his accent. And that's really weird, isn't it? Because we keep getting random aspects of this story confirmed but mixed up. There was a man with dogs at a very specific place in Stapen Hill. That's true. But he had a completely different name. And the victim is supposed to be from Peter Lee. In fact, he was supposed to be called Pete Lee. But now we find out that George Robinson was from near Peter Lee. And that is quite an amazing coincidence because the five or ten miles around Peter Lee is not the kind of place that you meet many people from in Burton. It's not particularly scientific, but I reckon if you stopped a thousand people in Burton today and asked where they're from, you might get one from that area. Granted, the population may have changed a lot in the meantime, but you get my point. Now there could be a connection, I suppose, between the coal mining areas of Durham and the coal mining areas of Leicestershire, which is not a million miles away, and maybe people travelled between the two. But it's still quite a coincidence that the town of Peter Lee appears in the story we're given. And now when we start to dig into George Robinson, the town of Peter Lee appears again. What's going on there? But what that does give us is a start point to identify George Robinson. He may have lived and died in Burton, but he wasn't born in Burton. So I needed to try and find a George Robinson born probably between 1925 and 1935 in or around Peter Lee. So that was the next task. But before I get to that, I need to deal with his death and the rumours about how George died. And there are rumours, and they're pretty gruesome. It's claimed George Robinson died in and around the 1990s of natural causes, but sadly, surrounded by increasingly ravenous, unfed dogs, that before he was found, the dogs had feasted on George. At least that's the urban myth. That's what everyone seems to mention when they talk about George Robinson. And it's maybe one of the stories that gets embellished over time, but it is definitely part of the local myth. And as with all these things, memory can be unreliable. And at least one person I've read on Facebook who says she identified the body said there were no injuries of that type on the body. But what does seem plausible, again, although sad, when George was found, his dogs were in a pretty bad state and they had to be disposed of humanely. Now, the reason for being specific about the death is there is this myth around it, which I wanted to mention, but also I really need to find out specifically when he died in order to learn more about George Robinson and maybe contact some relatives so they can tell me more, fill in some more of the blanks around George Robinson. So I need to make sure that I identify the right George Robinson and 
Sadly, George Robinson is a very common name for someone born in the 1920s or 1930s. But that's where we need to make a start. Thanks for downloading the podcast. And I hope you're enjoying a very festive Christmas and New Year period, wherever you are in the world. And on that subject, I was looking at the distribution of listeners again last week. I like to do that every now and again. And it always amazes me that there are people in Ghana and Turkey and Romania and Lithuania listening to me on this podcast. And if you are in any of those places, let me know. And you can reach me on fredtheheadpodcast at gmail.com. I want to know who you are and in the US. And for some reason, we seem to be most popular in North Carolina. So if you're in North Carolina, listen to this podcast right now. Hello. Again, drop me a line. I'm intrigued. Why listen? Very pleased that you do. So let me know who you are. Now, a couple of people have mentioned uh, a couple of people that we've talked to in previous podcasts, really just to ask how they're doing. And I've spoken to Velia Jackson last week and to Zoe Kun last week as well, really just to call them and say, Happy Christmas. The good news, both are doing really well. I spoke to Velia. I had about 15 minutes with her on the phone. She was pretty down when we first started. I think she gets a little bit lonely. Well, she's 91. She's about to be 92, as she always reminds me. We had a long chat, and I think she was a bit more cheerful at the end of it than when we started. So I'll keep in contact with Velia, because I know a lot of you have been interested in Velia's story and what Velia's gone through, really. I'll definitely be keeping in contact with Velia, and I do regularly anyway, but obviously, as a few people have been asking prior to Christmas, I thought it might be a good idea to give you an update. We haven't really been following that strand of Matthew James Jackson for a few podcasts now, so there's nothing new to report in relation to that particular strand of the story, but Velia's doing fine, Uh, and Zoe's doing fine. Spoke to Zoe the other day. It's 33 degrees centigrade where she is in Australia, so I was very jealous about that. But we had a long conversation. There were things in that conversation which are relevant Uh, don't know when we'll get round to them in relation to the podcast we're plowing a particular furrow at the moment but there are a few other strands that I haven't really talked about yet that that conversation with Zoe was really quite interesting about I don't know whether they're relevant or not yet but if they are obviously they'll make it to the podcast so just wanted to give you a bit of an update on those two people because I know they've been they've been the real stars of this podcast in the course of uh, 2021. But let's get back to our investigation. I started with the death. I have three sources for births, marriages and deaths that I tend to use. Ancestry.com, FreeBMD and a site called Staffordshire Births, Marriages and Deaths which someone put me onto a few weeks ago and it's very useful. So that's what I used. So I was searching for Robinsons recorded as dying in Burton or East Staffordshire somewhere between 1975 and 2010. That was quite a wide date range, but the reason for that is that no one so far has been specific about what year he died, and I didn't want to miss him. So I searched for George as a first name, but also as a middle name, just in case. Free BMD 
It's not very good on deaths, I'm afraid. Didn't really come up with anybody. Ancestry was more successful. And there were seven on Ancestry that fitted that date range of death. George William, George Lionel, George Henry, Henry George, Harold George, William George, and Stanley George. Staffordshire BMD gave me four. George William, Harold George, Stanley George and William George. All of those four are already in the ancestry list. So I went with those seven people on ancestry. But I also knew that he was around 40 in 1971. And know that because the person who used to serve him in the butchers in 1971 said to me, he was around 40. Now, again, I can't be definitive about that. So let's say somewhere between 30 and 50 to be on the safe side. So therefore would have been born somewhere between 1921 and 1941. So of those seven people who died between 1975 and 2010, who also were born between 1921 and 1941, that just left three. George William Robinson, born in 1924, so 47 in 1971. George Henry Robinson, born in 1928, so 43 in 1971. And Stanley George Robinson, born in 1927, so 44 in 1971. Now, just to recap, you may say, why include Stanley? Surely he would have been known as Stanley Robinson. Well, use of middle names is quite common and actually more common then than now. If someone didn't really like their first name, they, they quite often used their middle name. My own father never used his first name, always known by his middle name. So it would be a mistake to take Stanley out just in case that was what was happening. So let's look closer at those three. George William died in May 1995 at the age of 71. George Henry died in June 1998 at the age of 70. And Stanley George died in May 2006 at the age of 79. Now the next question is, where were these people born? Because if these people were born in Burton, they're probably not the George Robinson we're looking for. Because remember, someone had mentioned to us that the George Robinson that was living with the dogs came from the Northeast, or certainly that kind of direction. So if we could eliminate those people born in Burton, we'd be getting closer and closer. So what we needed to do is find the births for any of these people. And as we know their dates of birth, because that was on the death certificate, that should be relatively straightforward. But as we've learned over the course of the last year, things are rarely straightforward. So let's start with George William Robinson, born in 1924, the 7th of November, 1924, to be exact. That's what was recorded on his death certificate. That's very useful. So I looked across the whole of the country for George W. Robinsons born at the end of 1924. And there were four of them. One born in Louth in Lincolnshire, one born in Liverpool, one born in a place called Glanford Bridge in Lincolnshire again, and one born in Guildford, Surrey. 
Now for non-UK listeners, let me give you a little bit of an idea of UK geography in relation to these places. There are really three places of interest, Lincolnshire, Liverpool and Guildford in Surrey. Well, Lincolnshire is not the northeast, but it's on the way there from Burton in the sense it's further north and it's further east than Burton for sure. Liverpool isn't. Liverpool's on the west side of the UK and Guildford's down south near London. So maybe, maybe Lincolnshire was a connection. So I then moved on to George Henry Robinson, born in 1928, the 7th of February 1928. I did the same job. People who were born in 1928 at the start, who could I find there? I found one, George Henry Robinson, born in Burton in Staffordshire. So that's useful because if we think this person didn't come from Burton, it's not him. So let's rule him out for the time being. And the third one, Stanley George Robinson, born on the 21st of April, 1927. Went through all the people born in April, 1927. There was one Stanley George Robinson in London. So again, probably not. Then I got lucky in the sense of, and this is where the Facebook family has made such a difference to this case. Joe Willis, who has been a fantastic supporter of both the research we've been doing and the Facebook page, came up trumps for me. And she often comes up trumps for me. I'd been having a conversation with her about trying to find this person. She, off her own bat, ordered the death certificate from East Staffordshire for George Robinson, the man who had died in 1995. And she was able to identify where that person was from. That George Robinson, who died in Burton in 1995, was the George W. Robinson born in Louth, Lincolnshire, in October 1924. It's there, in black and white, on the death certificate. So I think, using that, and I'm extremely grateful for Joe for doing that, that means we can be pretty sure the person that we've got in our sights right now, the most likely George Robinson, it was George W. Robinson, born in Louth, Lincolnshire, in October 1924. Now, that's not the northeast, but as we mentioned earlier, it's on its way there. So what could we find out about the George William Robinson, born in Louth in 1924? Is there anything to indicate that he may have been connected to Burton in some way, or in fact any record of him? Well, what we do know because it's in the records of his birth in 1924, was that his mother's maiden name was Baldock. And we did some digging into that. And it seems Florence Annie Baldock married Thomas W. Robinson in Grimsby in 1924. George William, our man in the shack, was born six months later. And he was named after Florence's brother, who sadly had died at the age of seven in 1915. So Florence was pregnant when she was married. Florence and Thomas had two other daughters, Lillian in 1926 and Daisy in 1933. Florence 
died in 1933, probably as a result of giving birth to Daisy. So George lost his mum at the age of nine. And the weird thing is, we went through that family tree in detail. And Daisy's there, Lillian's there. George William Robinson is never ever mentioned again as part of that family. It's like he never existed. So I'm wondering at that point whether George William Robinson left that family, went to stay with somebody else maybe, went to live with maybe an auntie or an uncle, particularly at the age of nine after his mum died. The next source of potentially useful information is the 1939 register, something we've used before. And it was a list of everyone who wasn't in the services at the start of the Second World War. And it's very useful because it gives a snapshot in time of everyone, names, addresses, occupations at the outbreak of the war. George William Robinson, who was born in 1924, would have been 15 years of age and he should have been on that register, but he wasn't. And there are 28 George William Robinsons on that register, but he seems to vanish. Now the thing is we know he's alive because we know when he died, definitively he died in 1995, but he's not there. Now it's worth remembering quite a lot of the data set of the 1939 register has been removed or rescinded, so there could be an explanation for him not being there, but I would have thought he would have been. But we're still working on this, and I hope by the time of the next podcast we'll have a lot more information about George William Robinson. Finally, we looked at the UK newspaper archive just to see if there was any references to a George William Robinson that might be related to our man from Louth who lived in the shack, we think. And there are a couple that are really interesting. Now, we have to be careful because we know George William Robinson is not an uncommon name. There could be more than one person in the same place with that name. There are two newspaper articles, both from Louth. Now, frustratingly, no age is given in either, so we can't be certain it's the same man. The first one is from 1952, refers to a man, George William Robinson, living at one engine gate, Louth. Now, he was sent to prison for stealing wheat. Now, it was quite an operation. Quite a few people were involved, and it was quite a serious offence and he was sent to prison for six months. The second story is from 14 years earlier and it's much more tragic. We know it's the same man living at one engine gate Louth. He was called George William Robinson. He was a spare driver in a fire engine. He was his first time on active service. He lost control of the vehicle and he killed a mother and a child. Given what had just happened to George William Robinson in losing his own mother, if that was him, that would have had quite an effect on him. I think you'd agree. Now we have to be careful. The George William Robinson that we've got in the newspapers from Louth may not be the George William Robinson from Louth who died in Burton in 
1995. But it might be. So that's where we've got to in the story of George Robinson. Some facts, some possibilities. But much further to go on this. Some people might think this is a bit of a diversion from Fred, but remember, George Robinson has been implicated in his murder. So I need to find out as much as I can about George William Robinson. And one final intriguing thought to leave you with. When we were researching George William Robinson, you'll remember we mentioned his mother, who sadly died in 1933 at the age of 38. She was born in a place called Spilsby, a small village in Lincolnshire. Now I mention that because that random village in Lincolnshire has come up before in this story. And I wonder if you can remember. It's where Matthew James Jackson and Velia got married in 1958. Now, it could be a complete coincidence. But we do know for sure that George William Robinson ended up in Burton and was there in 1970. And we do suspect very strongly that Matthew James Jackson was also in Burton around 1970. Might be nothing, but it might be something. But that's for next time. So, until next time, have a good one. The Mysterious Case of Fred the Head is a GSE Media production. Written, produced and narrated by myself, Ken Davis.